Welcome to Culture Bites, where we take culture theory and turn it into everyday insights. We're powered by Human Synergistics, and our mission is to change the world one organization at a time. We can only do that together with our amazing community, so thank you for listening. So we just held our annual conference on culture and leadership in Sydney and Melbourne in the last couple of weeks, and it was an awesome event. We had about 1,600 people come along between Sydney and Melbourne. If you're one of those people, thanks for coming along. We hope you enjoyed it. We had some really amazing speakers there. And we've got videos of the speakers on YouTube, which are available on our website. Um, If you want to watch those, we've got the links in the show notes for this podcast. What I wanted to do in this show, though, was just do some little clips from each of the speakers to give you a bit of a flavor. So you can listen through, see if any uh, particularly speak to you, and then go see the full video if if you're interested in learning more. So the first speaker at our conference was Rebecca Cardos. So Rebecca is the CEO of Aurora Energy. You might have heard Rebecca on a previous podcast a couple ago. We we interviewed her, Corinne and I, and her topic was around courage and commitment. That's culture. And it was what Rebecca was speaking about was really, you know, culture change isn't easy and things don't always go your way. And when they don't, it's really important that you have the courage and the commitment to actually stick with it and keep going. So on that note, let's hear a little clip from Rebecca. The first thing I had to do was share the results. I had to find the words. I had to articulate. Results are disappointing. I'm sorry. And where to from here? And I had to do that whilst I was trying to get my head around what my organisation was telling me. I felt I had to provide the solution to a really complex calculus problem that I just couldn't even comprehend. I've never been particularly good at calculus. We did the human thing, thought about blaming it on the tools. Survey's too long, the instrument's far too complicated, etc., etc. But seriously, how can you claim the gains in 2016 and then when you get an adverse outcome in 2018, Suddenly it becomes a tool's fault? I don't think so. I'm not proud of this, but on one level I wanted it to be true. So with a lot of help, I shared the results and I shared my personal disappointment that I hadn't delivered on my promise. My board was insightful. Culture isn't linear, Beck. It's a journey. Maybe HS should have asked them to present today. And once I took full accountability for how things actually are at Aurora Energy, I started listening. And what I started to discover is in our busyness to deliver, we had left our people and their needs behind. They felt unrewarded. They felt unrecognized and undervalued. They felt our policies and procedures were for our benefit, not theirs. They felt we took all the glory and they delivered all the hard work. When I talked about our achievements, they thought they were mine, not theirs. When I thanked them for all their amazing, amazing work on these significant projects, they thought I didn't value business as usual. And when I talked about pride, they thought I was forcing them to be proud, and they weren't. We lost their trust. What they heard and what they experienced was incongruent. So even though everyone was really friendly, everyone was working 
really hard and everything seemed okay. Our passive defensive culture meant they weren't comfortable, they didn't feel safe to tell it how it really was. And so what the second retest did gave them a voice to safely share what they really thought, what they were really experiencing, and how things were really were at Aurora Energy. It's taken me a little while, but I am genuinely thankful for the secondary test results. I now have a far deeper appreciation for what's meant by the statement that the biggest challenge in culture change is the culture. Thanks, DB and Rob. I now realize it's a gift, a gift that I have the courage to embrace in all its fluoro greenness glory. And as challenging as they were, it's now proven to be this amazing opportunity, this opportunity for us to re-engage and together reimagine how things work around here. And the timing couldn't be better. We've got this new business strategy and it just so happens that we need to completely rethink our operating model. And this has given us a platform to do exactly that. And it's given me the confidence to know that no one's particularly wedded to the current one. The next speaker we had was Corinne Cantor. So listeners will be familiar with Corinne. She's often on the Culture Bites podcast. She's one of our senior consultants, actually the head of the consulting team. And Corinne was talking about working teams. That's culture. So organizations are are made up of teams. We basically all are part of a team, and that's how we deliver work. And in this presentation, Corinne talks about how teams are capable of achieving so much more together than we are as a group of individuals. And it's really about how do we do that? And I think the interesting thing about Corinne's presentation is she talks about actually there is an iron team, and you know we're all people and we're all individuals, and we work together. But we've got to remember that, you know, we've got to show up as well. So in this clip from Corinne, we're going to hear her talk about that there is an iron team. There's a saying that when you look at Google and you look for inspiring quotes on teamwork, you'll always find one that says there is no I in team. Have you ever seen that? It drives me nuts because, of course, there is an I in team and A high-performing team does not lie in an individual subjugating their need to the teams. A high-performing team lies in an individual actively, consciously choosing to align their needs with the team so that they're in lockstep and they are one in the same. That doesn't mean it's easy. There are several tensions for an individual to navigate as they participate in a team. For one thing, there's a tension between staying true to myself while being able to compromise when it counts. There's also the tension of wanting to have my own voice and, in fact, needing to have my own voice to express my view, but also being able to challenge without fear of losing acceptance. And there's also the tension point of balancing my independence with being interdependent. So, of course, there is an INT. The next presentation we have is Christian Campanella. So Christian's the Global HR Director for Pernod Ricard Wines. Unfortunately, we weren't able to get any little sampler bottles for the giveaway bags at the conference. 
I don't think we're licensed to do that. But we do get a fantastic presentation from Christian. So the, the work Pernod Ricard were doing was really around leadership impact. So they'd had challenges with engagement over several years, and they were reshaping their business footprint in Australia. And so the question they really asked was, what impact does leadership have on culture and performance? And in this presentation from Christian, he's going to answer that so we all know. We did have a few opportunities to pulse check along the way just to see how we're going. And the first one was in June 2017, here comes the employee engagement survey again. So we get our results uh, three months later in September. Now, obviously, we're a bit nervous in receiving these results, but a lot of relief. So we improved in all 14 of the categories within the survey. And even more so, in six of those categories, we had a statistically significant improvement. So it was a great result. So not only did it confirm that we're headed in the right direction, it also confirmed our diagnostic of the problem and the need to evolve our leadership impact. And quite ironically, the category that improved the most within this survey was the leadership category itself. So it was a fantastic proof point that we were on the right journey. The other thing is in December of last year, we also undertook what's called a South Australian Workers' Compensation Self-Insurance Renewal. It's a mouthful. Now, for those that don't know what this is, it means that we have direct responsibility and management for all work injury claims in our workplace. Okay? And this type of accreditation is really only given to organisations that have a very high standard of health and safety and return to work programs. Now, the other thing with this accreditation is it actually saves the business hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. So it is very, very important and it's very much linked also to the culture of your business. So during the reaccreditation process, we were actually given a five-year renewal, which is the highest level of renewal that you can receive. And when we had the debrief with the auditor and got the report, one of the things that they cited was they could see a significant culture change occurring on the shop floor. And that was great because that person had been there three years earlier. So to get that external recognition was amazing. The other thing, which is on the right-hand side of the screen, we're also recognised by our peers, which is called SISA, or South Australian, or Self-Insurers of South Australia, sorry. And we were awarded SA Self-Insurer of the Year. So another great achievement. So it was really all of these events, along with just the general vibe you could feel on the shop floor, people were looking at you in the eye when you were walking through the production areas, was giving us that confidence. The next presentation we had from our global CEO, Dr. Rob Cook, who flew down here from the US and... Rob was looking at collateral damage, that's culture. So there's been a lot of news lately about organizations misbehaving and the effects their culture have had on, on customers and other stakeholders inside the company. It's something we're pretty familiar with here in Australia with a lot of royal commissions and whatnot and headlines going on. So in this clip, Rob talks about the relationship between an organization's culture and how that can lead to collateral damage. Let's hear from Rob. Just want to reiterate that the aggressive styles in organizations are responsible for initiating these kinds of problems that lead to collateral damage. 
But again, because of passive norms in such organizations, those behaviors go unchecked. And it almost seems that they're covered up intentionally. In some cases, they are. In other cases, it's simply because members are afraid to do anything about it. Yes, damage can also start from the other side of the circumplex, passive styles, specifically around the inappropriate application of rules. We've had a number of situations where units of organizations have treated people unfairly, usually clients, because they got carried away with the rules, and it was never intended to happen, but it did happen, and is then sustained by the organization having an aggressive culture or a culture that is too weak with respect to the constructive norms. Kate Evans from Shape is our next speaker. So Kate's the group executive for People and Culture. And Shape are an interesting company. They're, they're an office fit-out company and they do like fit-outs for hotels and whatnot. The cool thing about Shape is how much their whole leadership team have bought into building a constructive culture. So something I think is really interesting is that one of their founders is accredited, their CFO is accredited, their head of strategy is accredited. And it's really a sign of an organization that has fully bought into trying to build a constructive culture and they've been very successful in doing so. For them, there was a light bulb moment where they basically lined up their business performance and their culture and they saw a one-to-one correlation and that was kind of the turning point for them. So in this clip from Kate, we're going to hear about that light bulb moment and how it went on to impact the performance of the company. What we didn't know, though, was what we were actually going to find in the detail. We hadn't really understood up until this point the power of data. We have seven state operations, as I've already said, and when we looked at some of the circumplexes for those individual states, there were some polarising results. What I'm going to show you now in a bit of a deep dive is the bookends. The best two states that we had from a culture perspective and the lower two. State four was the amazing phone call that we started with. We hadn't even closed that survey and Angus knew that we had a problem in that state. We did know that there were challenges in the state. As I said, you you did only need to walk into it to have an understanding. But what we didn't know is what was driving them because the leadership team were very much talking about external factors as being the main driver. What we then started to do, though, was how is this culture, how is it actually impacting our business performance? We measure our our company performance uh, against five key strategic themes and then against a balanced scorecard out of 100%. So when we looked at states one and two, more than a pass mark, and the profitability in those states was, was fantastic. When we looked at states three and four, though, it was a very different story. Not only were we not even making a pass mark, but obviously we were losing money out of these states. From this point, it's fair to say that we got the attention of the executive team. To the HR practitioners and consultants in the room, I promise you if you overlay your culture results with your business performance data, there will be correlation. And in my experience, let that data do the convincing for you if you've got senior leadership teams that maybe are a little bit, you know, culture fluffy. Our final speaker for the day was the chairman of Human Synergistics Australia and New Zealand, Sean McCarthy. And he was talking about sustaining performance, that's culture. And it's not about being outrageously successful forever, but it's about consistently performing and consistently doing well and building an organization that's here for the long term. You know, an aggressive organization may succeed in the short term, but it will be volatile, those results of the long term. So in this clip from Sean, he talks about the relationship between a leader's impact 
decisions leaders make and the impact this has on the way people believe they are supposed to behave in the organisation. So the notion of sustaining success, and I just want to clarify the definitions in terms of what do I mean. So I, I just want to say a few key points around this. One is, is there's no such thing as a magic pill. There's no such thing as one size fits all. What you've seen here this morning is a number of different views on very different journeys, all striving for a similar goal. So the notion of sustaining success is not about forever being outrageously successful and we're constantly growing, etc. So I rather like this little definition in the brackets, to sustain great provocation, because we live in an age of disruption, of digital disruption, and where these, these disruptive companies almost take pride in putting other organizations out of business and being the disruptor. And that is a reality of our existence now. So often this whole notion of sustainability in a commercial or in an organizational sense, and thus the icons are designed to represent this, is it, it could be around innovation, it could be around continuous improvement, it could be around overcoming obstacles, or it could be just surviving the arrows of outrageous fortune that come towards us from time to time from an increasingly competitive global marketplace that we function in. So it, it, it may be just still being around after a long time, it might be uh, putting up with that disruption and surviving through such disruption because you have an exceptionally high quality product, whatever it might be. And success, of course, is a, is a word that's used in a lot of different contexts and very simply it's just a favourable outcome. So the favourable outcome might be surviving. It might be putting up with this dramatic change that's happening in the marketplace but staying true to your own values rather than throwing them out and panicking and getting into crisis mode, etc. So that's it. So those were the speakers at our conference this year. I hope you enjoyed the clip show. If you're interested in seeing the full versions of any of those presentations, there'll be a link in the show notes of this podcast. So click through to our website and you'll be able to watch the whole video as well as download the presentations for each of them. Hope you enjoyed it. We run the conference every year, so come along next year if you're in Sydney or Melbourne. If you sign up on our website to receive our news or follow us on LinkedIn, we'll be posting about it in, well, basically nine months' time or something. Hope to see you there next year. So long for now. Thanks for listening to this episode of Culture Bites. If you enjoy the show, remember to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, leave us a review. It helps other people to find the show. If you have a question you'd like us to answer, email podcast at human-synergistics.com.au. We'd love to answer it. Thanks for being part of our amazing community. We can only do it together with yourself. So long for now.